Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7, 365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. My guest today is Molly Katzen. She has over 6 million books in print. She's listed by the New York Times as one of the best-selling cookbook authors of all time. In 2007, Molly was inducted in the James Baird Cookbook Hall of Fame, and she's largely credited with moving the plant-based cuisine from the fringe to the center of the American dinner plate. She's been named by Health Magazine one of the five women who've changed the way we eat. And she has a new cookbook that's uh, coming out this month. It's called The Heart of the Plate, a Vegetarian's Recipe for a New Generation. I'm really thrilled to have Molly with us today because I have some questions as a quasi-vegetarian. Not have, haven't moved quite there the whole way, but but uh, I'm, I'm moving there one step at a time or one plant at a time. So thanks, Molly, for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. You, you have to be kind of excited to, to see where the vegetarianism kind of movement has come from when you started to where we are today. Yeah, you know, um, I have never been somebody who's on a campaign to get people to be vegetarians. I just have always loved plant food. <laughs> Call me um, kind of either ahead of the curve or a little bit uh, quirky, but way back when the absolute only, not just the the, the um, most popular American dinner plate, but really the only American dinner plate was the the model was the hunk of meat, the big one, you know, like 10 ounces mm-hmm. in the center of the plate. And if there were vegetables at all, they were kind of these incidentals on the side. Um, so to have been somebody who was crazy about vegetables, I mean, even when I was a kid, I used to love frozen vegetables. Of course, you know, not still frozen, but cooked, but... I always thought that vegetables were very exciting food. So I come to it through just a love and fascination of garden food. Um, so mm-hmm. if people want to eat vegetables and really love vegetables and would like to, I, I'd like to see them creep on to, uh, to take up more real estate on everybody's dinner plate. Um, whether people declare an identity around vegetarian or not is not so much a concern as wanting people to really just fall in love with vegetables, to find ways to cook them for yourself and for other people that are just absolutely craveably delicious. And then we'd be drawn into um, this kind of eating without having to feel like we have to sign up for the vegetarian identity. Um, right. What you said is just perfect. So you want to eat vegetarian food more often. That's fantastic. I really love the idea of the vegetarian description being more about the food than about the person then the person can stay flexible, and anybody who loves meat can also enjoy a, a beautiful vegetarian dinner on some kind of a regular basis. Well, I completely agree because I also love love vegetables. Um, and yesterday I was at a farmer's market, and I was so excited for just all of the vegetables that were there. They were so beautiful. They just made you want to eat them. And I'm really glad to see not only people eating more, uh, eating more vegetables, but kind of the resurgence of farmers' markets as as well. Well, you know, I think those two things go hand in hand because um, 
for for example, I've been writing vegetarian cookbooks for a very long time, and um, my earliest ones, in my my earliest books, uh, Moosewood Cookbook and Enchanted Broccoli Forest, they're still in print, which amazes me because not only are they many decades old, um, even though I've revised them a little bit, but they're, they're basically older books. But also, um, the the food is very different in those, and in the older model, um, I was really very <laughs> sincerely. <laughs> A heart, in a heartfelt way, I was trying to get people to see the the uh, possibilities of having a, a dinner without meat in it just once in a while. And mm-hmm. back then, the uh, if, if people were so worried that if, if there wasn't a hunk of meat in the center of their plate for even a single meal, that they'd somehow keel over and drop dead or something, that it's just they couldn't survive. There was a whole notion about it. So my earlier recipes had a lot of the kind of heftier ingredients, a lot of cheese and eggs and, you know, often noodles or rice. And it wasn't so much about vegetables as it was about let's make an entree that will make people feel full enough and satisfied enough that they won't miss the meat for that one evening. So it wasn't so much about, oh, let's celebrate the bounty of the garden as much as let's see what we can replace the meat with and keep people feeling full. And one of the things that's changed greatly about my cooking and it completely dovetails with the farmer's market movement which is so fantastic is that more and more my cooking is about the vegetables not so much about trying to make a a, a convincing argument that for leaving meat out of a meal once in a while or always but more about oh my gosh this produce is so fantastic let us make as much room for this as we can on our plate and in fact the, the title of my book the heart of the plate actually refers to the changing definition of what a plate of dinner actually even is. Well, do, do you think that maybe years ago that having meat on the plate was kind of a sign of maybe prosperity or, you know, that you were doing well? And, of course, you know how Americans are. We take everything and, like, supersize <laughs> it 5,000 times. Um, when, when really, um, you know, having good vegetables is, is also – just a, a a sign of that, that, that you're wanting to put good things in in your body. But I, 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 I think we got hung up on that. I think so too, and it's interesting because um, I both enjoy and am bothered by the whole idea of food as being symbolic of our identity and our status in the world. And um, I think that that seems to come with the territory sometimes. So whereas you're right, once once not that long ago meat was a sign of prosperity, and it was symbolic of a certain status. Um, and so, but, but one thing I like about our association of status with food is that it has become, I don't love trendy, but it's kind of fun, and it has become kind of trendy uh, for vegetables to be um, very much a focal point of any chef's repertoire, whether that chef also serves meat or not. Um, it's, it's very much... Um, the thing to be able to prepare a beautiful plate of vegetables now. And and if that's going to be a trend, I'm all for it. I think it's great. I really love it. Well, well, I, I'm glad to see that it come into the mainstream. Of course, you are a major force of bringing it into the mainstream. It used to kind of be seen as kind of hippie or kooky, to, you know, to, to say the word vegetarian. You know, you're like, oh, you're way out there. But but now it's not. And And the thing is, they're so good for you. I mean, if you're going to be kooky about something, be kooky about something that's enhancing your life and making you healthy and making your 
skin better and your hair better and your, you know, just, I mean, there's no negative, you know, side to it. I know, and you and I both clearly agree <laughs> on that. And I think our job, <laughs> our job, um, just ongoingly, like I, I've been seeing it as my job forever, you know, is to make it really appealing so people are pulled in and and so that it's not so much that we have a sort of cerebral equation where I'm, I'm, I have this information, I know for a fact that you know, certain healthy foods will make me uh, more vibrant and make my hair more beautiful, my skin more beautiful, so therefore I will eat this food. If we can just kind of short circuit, just kind of zip past all of that um, sort of, all that checklist, that mental kind of decision, I should eat more vegetables because it's good for me. But uh, skip all of that and making the vegetables so compelling, so craveable, that people just go for them without even thinking, oh, well, this is, gonna, this is good for me, so therefore I should eat it. But more like, get me some of that. That looks fantastic, must have now. And then after the fact, you say, oh, guess what? You know, by the way, you just ate some vegetables, and they were really good for you. And as a result, if you fall in love with the stuff, keep eating it, it's going to serve you well. It is going to serve you well on every level. Plus, it's really fun stuff to cook, and that's the part that I love so much. One of the things that I'm so excited about in the last number of years, and this is also reflected in, in, as a big change in my own cooking, um, there was a period of time, um, beginning in the 1980s, I think, it might even have been earlier, where the, the, the food fad all over this country was low-fat. I am sure you and all of our listeners here are, are familiar with that, right? Low-fat mm -hmm. equals good because fat in your food equals fat on your thighs. A very simplistic equation. And during the course of the kind of low-fat craze, when we were all feeling more virtuous for having our broccoli completely just plain old steamed without it, even any drizzle of olive oil, or, and, and then we get extra points, extra good person points for leaving the salt <laughs> <laughs> so all this kind of morality associated with our food choices around the low fat thing, and it, what, unfortunately, what happens is, I mean, maybe you you don't agree with me, but I personally do not find it very sexy to have be served a big, you know, big spears of steamed broccoli with nothing on them. <laughs> um, so one of the one of the things I'm so excited about is that research has shown in the, in, in the last number of years, really definitively, that certain fats are super good for you, and we should be going out of our way to include olive oil, nuts, avocados, oil from avocados, oil from nuts um, in our diet. And the minute we're permitted, we get the, the green light to go ahead and, you know, just cook that broccoli and that olive oil. Um, it tastes so much better. And it's a twofer because not only does it taste better, but we're going to want to eat more of it. And so the, the the permission to have healthy oil, the instruction to have healthy oil actually makes the vegetables taste a million times better, and then we want we want to keep eating vegetables. So that and the research on olive oil, yeah, oh, and the research on olive oil just shows you know I mean people who've had olive oil in their diet for centuries have you know long you know I mean that that study is is super complete. I mean they live longer, they look better. Uh, they they age, you know, uh, not quite as quickly. Um, there's huge benefits to olive oil. I, know, I, know, I, I agree. Drizzle it on everything. <laughs> you know, this is another another change 
the American diet, and this, I, this is, I'm talking when I say chickens and eggs here. I'm not speaking literally of chickens and eggs, but the, for, the, the, but the order of things, like which comes first, the chicken or the egg. In this case, um, which comes first, a better way of cooking vegetables or the available produce in all the produce markets and all the farmers markets, and factor in also the availability of really good olive oil in, in America is very recent. So when I first started out with Moosewood Cookbook 40 years ago, and it was 40 years ago, um, there you couldn't find good good olive oil was something you had to travel to Italy or Greece or Spain to taste. You didn't have it here. It was one of the reasons you went on those trips. I am going now mm-hmm. to Italy with <laughs> my hard-earned money because I really need some good olive oil. Well, there were a few of us who felt that way, but you could, it's because you couldn't find it here. Um, wow. I know some people, you know, younger people, a generation younger than I, can't picture going into a good food store and not seeing the different olive oils. But take my word for it, there weren't any, and they were highly refined. And it wasn't, it was a means to an end. It was a way to you know, put a little in the pan to cook the food, but it wasn't considered a food in and of itself. It wasn't considering considered the kind of seasoning it is now. All of these developments have made it so much easier to make vegetables taste good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if my cooking and, and many many of my colleagues' cooking styles have gravitated more towards the vegetable itself and away from the eggs and cheese and noodles, although those are still delicious <laughs> in smaller quantities, <laughs> and if we've gravitated towards the vegetables themselves and towards the good olive oil and the fresh garlic and um, the beautiful seasonal fruits and the nuts, it's I, I would attribute it to a combination of a confluence of wonderful events there are some good things going on in the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> some of the yeah. more discouraging ones. And one of them is you know, the confluence of the farmer's markets coming up, the availability of the olive oil, the willingness to taste things, you know, it's sort of a more adventurous sense of the palate, and um, the debunking of a lot of the low-fat mythology. Um, another thing I'd love to add to that list, which is something you and I were talking about earlier, is, and this is just, I'm putting this out there, I would love to see uh, people relaxing their definitions about who they are uh, vis-a-vis their food choices. So, I mean, if somebody feels very, very strongly, and many people do, and I super respect it, that, that, you know, it's, that they don't want to eat meat, or, or if they want to be vegan and don't want to eat any meat or dairy or eggs or, in some cases, honey, um, I respect that. But there are many people who really love vegan food. I do, but I'm not I'm not I wouldn't call myself a vegan, but I love mm-hmm. every now and then to eat that way. I I eat vegetarian food most of the time. Um people who want to eat vegetarian food. And again, I'm I'm using the word vegetarian to describe the food, not the person. So that people will feel included or to put it a different way so people will not feel excluded. So that if mm-hmm. people want to eat vegetarian food more of the time, say somebody who loves meat but really wants to cut back on meat, I so badly want that person to be feel included in in my recipes at your table at anyone's table without using um definitions about about who we are based on what we eat because those things divide us and I really want to see people sitting down all at the same table and eating the same food more or less you know, right so, right so one of the things i've I've done in in the heart of the plate is I've created these basic vegetarian dinners, well mostly dinners that could be lunch that could be snack. Um, that a lot of them vegan, but without the big definition, without the big V at the top uh, of the page, and um, less the kind of big 
heavy casseroles I used to make when I was younger, and more a kind of lightweight, light-hearted, um, s- simple combination of things, a modular plate with a little bit of lentils over here and a little bit of uh, roasted vegetables over there and some lovely pilaf and maybe a vegetable mash, which is one of my favorite things. Now, I, I, I say if you can make mashed potatoes, why can't you make mashed curried carrots? And then I say mm-hmm. no reason at all why not, so that we do. Um, <laughs> so this basic, very compelling vegetable plate that also has vegetables as the toppings or, ve- or plant food as the toppings, like crispy fried chickpeas on top or um, a, a tofu noodle that's made out of firm tofu cut really thin into a little noodle format um, or even taking some uh, potatoes and frying them in, with onions and oil until they're crisp and using fried potatoes as a topping for your broccoli. It's, a, it's like vegetables garnished mm-hmm. with vegetables. All, all sorts of fun ways we can layer and make beautiful modular plates. That to me is the basic plate of food for everyone. And if somebody who loves meat really would like to put a few strips of leftover cooked steak on top, fine, let them do it. I don't have that in the book, but I want people to understand that they can. Or somebody who right. loves their eggs can put, you know, put a poached egg on top. And for a vegan who doesn't want to put a poached egg on who you know doesn't eat eggs, um, put the tofu noodles on top or a little bit of um, saitan medallion with some vegan gravy, which I also have in the book. It's a, sort of like something for everyone to pull us together so we're not using food to divide us exactly no i I think that's a that's a good idea you know if if i I, i'm not vegan um because boy that takes a lot of work to be (laughs) you have to really search that out there that's that's a hard thing to do but if i'm given a choice like um yes i'll go back again to the farmer's market there was somebody selling vegan um products there what was made and it was available and it was there, and it was an easy choice for me to make. And I, I do think we have more choices now to make healthier choices. Like you said, 40 years ago, you had to actually go to Italy to get olive oil, and now we have an abundant supply here. It's, it's easier to make that choice when you have those things available to you. And when you have – and that's the great thing about actually getting to the farmer's market is because you have the choice that's really easily accessible. It's usually local, uh, sustainable stuff that's that's come from, you know, your local farmers. You're supporting the local people around you and it's not being trucked in from Mexico or South America or, you know, China or wherever. So when we can make better choices, I think we do make, make better choices. And it's people like you who keep pulling these things, making it easier for us to do because it is hard if we have to go out there on our own and left to our own accord. We, we fall short many, many times. But I, I really love seeing that it's it's being more mainstream and coming in and, and, and making it easier for us to make those those correct and healthy choices. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But there's one, there's one thing I want to add. Um, having a wide selection from which to choose um, can, can be very freeing but it can also be befuddling. Um, people can get more confused the more choices they have. Um, is, is, I mean, on, on the road to getting more liberated by the choices, there's a, there's a certain point where people start scratching their heads and wondering, how do I make my selection? What do I base my selection on? Um, and there are many, many, um, for example, many different kinds of halos. We're talking about food and, and the morality of food. <laughs> um, people ask me constantly, 
um, what is the priority of the halos? Like if 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 I'm hearing about sustainable this and local that, and organic this and mm-hmm. pastured that, and you know, if which which one of those trumps which other one? How do I choose when I go to my farmers market here? Um, in, well, I live in Berkeley, California, but I, I actually live in a small town. I shop in Berkeley. I live on the border, but I'm actually in a small town that's not Berkeley. And it's so interesting because the difference is that in Berkeley, the farmers market is just absolutely all organic because that's what it has to be for to to match the consciousness and the in, in the shopping lists of people who live there. In the small town where my um, farmers market is really tiny and really sweet, and I know all the, I know all the far, I, You know, there's a mixed blessing to knowing all the farmers by name. Like if you, if you don't happen to need, if you go, if you're dashing down, like for when I'm in the middle of testing a recipe and I'm dashing down to the, that farmer's market and I need like us one thing, and then I need to dash home because I have something on the stove, I feel really bad walking past the farmers I know when I'm not actually buying their stuff that day. <laughs> it's like I want to put a paper bag over my head. So I'm sorry, I'm not buying your tomatoes. So I end up buying a little something from everybody because <laughs> I just don't want them. I want, I want, I always want the farmers to feel it's worth their while to have done all the work it takes to get there, you know. But um, at any rate, it's a small farmer's market. Not everything is organic. And so and organic is, is quite important to me. So I ask them, you know, is this organic? Is it not? And they almost always will have some kind of degree of having done their best to keep the vegetables as clean as possible, but it might fall short of qualifying for the organic label, which is extremely hard to qualify for because it has so much to do with getting the soil up, you know, up to a certain cleanliness, blah, blah, blah. So if, if, if I see this hardworking farmer and they have this beautiful cucumber and it is unsprayed or transitional or um, uh, one of the many adjectives you use to denote, you know, trying to be as organic as possible, I'll buy that one. I don't need the full organic certification because I really I really care about the farmer too and I want them to be able to keep going and maybe eventually get the organic qualification. But the point the point is that people get confused and understandably so about how to prioritize those different halos. Like so if I have a choice between something that was grown nearby but it's not organic, but I want to support local or maybe it was grown <laughs> in China and, and you know, I buy it in one of the supermarkets, grown very, very far mm-hmm. away, let's say. But it's got the organic label. Well which is better? Which do you choose? Or if is it grown on a huge organic farm? Um or is it grown on a small, you know, mom and pop farm? So you know, mm-hmm. all those different things. I, I, I feel like I want to help people as much as possible to kind of you know, sort through all the options. Because as this, as I said, options can be a great thing but they can also be really confusing. Well, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, and, and this is probably, you know, it might be that everybody knows the answer to this, but I don't. But since we're coming up, even there's a lot of Jewish holidays. Are are all vegetables kosher? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I think they are. However, for somebody who is really strictly glut kosher, uh, it, they might need to know what kind of journey the vegetables traveled to get to your kitchen, who handled them, or what they kept company with, what they might have rubbed up against. You know, that is a that's a question I've never heard, and I don't for, into which I don't have the answer. But but it's a good one. Yeah, I want to find <laughs> out. 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I was just thinking, is, is it that simple? I'm like, well, I'll just have to ask Molly because I don't know. You know, well, Molly doesn't know either. But hey, I, I would really <laughs> love, to, <laughs> I'd love to find out. Um, you know, so it's interesting. So much of the discussion about kosher, and also, ironically enough, so much of the discussion about vegetarian often ends up being about meat. I meet so many vegetarian. One of the reasons I, I don't love that that classification, even though it's in the title of my book. Um, I, I, it, it, it's just, it's so confusing to meet, I've met over the years, vegetarians for whom their main focus is just the avoidance of meat. So it just means keep meat away from my plate and I'll eat whatever else there is. But sometimes it does not necessarily mean eating a lot of vegetables. And then I meet meat eaters who love their their steak, even though they're they're getting more conscious about the steak being smaller and sustainably uh, sourced, but still they love their steak. But they also really adore their vegetables. And sometimes I meet meat eaters who love vegetables more than vegetarians because the vegetarians sometimes, not always, sometimes, are just really principled about wanting to avoid meat. But they could be vegetables, no vegetables, no big deal. So I got a little cynical in encountering so much of that um, and wanting to just I just wanted made me want to reframe the definition, so I tried to come up with a word that was about loving vegetables. And honestly, that was really hard because nothing rolls off the tongue. Like I was calling for a while, I was saying pro vegetable and talking about pro vegetableism. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's um, <laughs> I, I was trying to describe my cooking. Well, it's garden and orchard based food. That's kind of a big long thing to say. And then there was. Um, <laughs> You know, Michael Pollan's famous adage, which was eat plants, eat food, not too much, mostly plants, that became very famous. And um, interestingly, I believe there were there were people who didn't understand why there was the word mostly in there. It should be all plants or people, other people at the other end of the spectrum who didn't understand what eat plants meant. It's like, really? Eat? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, go out and eat my lawn? <laughs> What? You know, so, so how do you define just wanting to eat more plant food and wanting to eat more vegetables? What I find myself saying is, you know, I don't, I'm not against meat one way or the other, although I want everyone eating at least less of it and, and whatever they eat of it, I want it to be sustainable, blah, blah. But my point is I start with the vegetables. I start with the whole grains. When I'm comp- composing a plate, and I love the word composing because it sounds like music, when I'm composing a plate, I want whole grains on there. I want legumes on there. I want at least one vegetable, preferably three. You know, maybe a mash and then a, some grilled vegetables, maybe a little slaw. And I'm so busy and happy filling this plate with plant food <laughs> that by the time I get all the plant food I want on there, there isn't really room for something else. And that's kind right. of my... Right. It's kind of my definition of vegetarian is that you're going for the avocado and you're going for the tomato and, oh, my gosh, this roasted Brussels sprout and here's a beautiful sauce made out of ground almonds and, and, oh, I need to get the chickpeas with the bulgur and going for those foods. And there's so many of them and they're so varied and they're so colorful. And you buy the, the good olive oil and the garlic and then it's so good. It's like, what else do we need? That is, to me, the ideal vegetarian kind of ethos is we have this plate is just groaning with color and texture and joy for the eater what more do we need that's the yeah i yeah very good i i you know i i could almost go there because every now and then 
I just want a piece of meat, but or seafood or something like that. But but I'm I've just kind of shifted in the fact that um, I don't need meat all the time anymore, like I thought I did maybe growing up because of my family, you know, we had, you know, there was meat every night. And so the mm-hmm. part of that was just kind of routine. But I, I have shifted away from that because I do like vegetables so much. And if I really, really think about meat, then I could really be a vegetarian, but I really almost can't get there because every just every now and then I do crave something. Let me fish I, or think you should, I think or, you should pay attention you know. that I think that's significant. And, I mean, human beings, they're vegetarians and vegans who are angry when I say this, but um, there are human beings who – it is a natural thing for us to be carnivores when you know but in the in the past and and i i say this often that so much of the wisdom about healthy eating lies behind us not ahead of us i feel that food is one of those subjects where one of those few perhaps subjects where our wisdom is the wisdom of the past not the wisdom mm-hmm. of modernity mm-hmm. and in the past yeah we're basic we have a, we have we have the molars to grind the meat we we're built to digest meat we we are able to do that but meat was a rare thing because once in a while there'd be a successful hunt and that when there was a successful hunt that's that was what there was to eat but for the most part you know people would eat what they could grow or what they could forage so we're built for both we're built to be omnivorous literally structured to be omnivorous um that said the spiritual components of our food choices are, are very significant and um so the, the spiritual and the physio, physiological are kind of trying to work it out. And when somebody, um, exactly what you said, says, as you just did, um, I love plant food and I'd like to eat vegetarian food a lot of the time, but once in a while I crave meat. That is so normal, I think. that's I think that's a very normal human thing to feel. Not everyone feels that way. And all respect mm-hmm. to people who don't, but all respect also to people who do. Mm-hmm. It's you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you too sometimes. You know, I, it's, it's, I, I, I wanted to ask you, in in, in the book um, that's, that's coming out, The Heart of the Plate, you dedicated it to Minnie Heller and Betty um, Katzen. Katzen. Can you Can you tell me about that and, and why you did that? Yes, if I can because do it without losing my... Because special to you. <laughs> I know. I'm going to lose my composure. I can can barely speak of it's my grandmother... My maternal grandmother Minnie, and my mother okay. Betty, and the other two dedicates, dedicates. What's the word? <laughs> People I dedicated mm-hmm. to. That's my son and my daughter. So okay. it's, um, my my grand. It's three. It's a three generation. One, two, three, four generation um, dedication. Since I'm in there too, as the dedicator. Um, my grandmother Minnie um, was a, someone I was extremely close to. I keep her picture by my bed. I just I I just sort of commune with her daily. Um, she she lived until I was a, halfway through my senior year in high school, and she lived close by, and I saw her many times a week. And she was um, a very natural, sensual cook. She had no concept of what a recipe was. She just cooked her instinct, and she cooked what she learned from watching her older sisters cook. Um, she was raised by sisters, the youngest of about 13 kids, lost her mother when she was little, and it was just this absolute, for her, cooking was a seamless extension of her, her humanity, and I got to witness somebody for whom that was true as I was growing up. She just walks into a kitchen and starts frying onions, you know, just 
<laughs> Even her recipe for chocolate cake was the first step was fry an onion because it makes the kitchen so exciting. <laughs> My mom, Betty Katzen, was um, somebody who learned how to cook as a young bride in the early 1950s um, and clipped everything out of every women's magazine at the time. That's where a lot of women got their recipes. There weren't so many cookbooks then. It was largely magazines um, and loved convenience foods and uh, cooked frozen vegetables and kosher meat. And um, I just loved the feeling in our kitchen at home. And I loved the fact that and my grandmother was always over at our house using our kitchen, um, although she never felt my mother's knives were sharp enough. That's sort of a classic that generation, <laughs> Jewish mother to Jewish daughter. It's like, well, don't you ever sharpen your knives? Um, but there was, was the thing that was so wonderful for me in my childhood was that I was never made to feel unwelcome in the kitchen. Even as a toddler, they always pulled up a chair for me. They're busy doing what they were peeling potatoes. People were always peeling potatoes in those days. I never peeled potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> but potato peeling was a big thing. You know, kitchens had people peeling potatoes in them when I was a kid. And uh-huh. so I'd be peeling the potatoes, and I'd be in there talking to them while they were peeling and smelling the smell of a potato while it's being peeled. It's something that still brings me back to being three years old in, in awe of those two matriarchs who were who so made me feel so welcome in the kitchen, and that's why I dedicate the book to them. Well, well, and that's probably why you've written such wonderful children's cookbooks too, because now that you've kind of painted that picture, that same spirit carries over into those children's cookbooks of yours, where, where you you know, talk about them getting a chair and working with an adult and being part of that experience, opening an avocado or this or that, you know. And so it's like that little Molly, you know, in the kitchen. <laughs> trans- That's a wonderful thing. That I, you know, I, hadn't, in- I hadn't made that connection, but you're right. It's, I think I, I associate one of the best, one of the best things about being a child for me was being allowed into that province of of food that a lot of kids feel left out of. I know that um, one of the things I realized when I was writing my first cookbook for preschoolers, I wrote two cookbooks for preschoolers, which was a little tricky because, you know, it's tempting to just be cute and jokey and decorative, but in fact I really wanted to and to make them, you know, feel like this cooking was theirs. And mm-hmm. um, so I very much was speaking to them, and if you think about it, a toddler has everything, everything in the kitchen occurs above a toddler's eye level. So they're kind of kind of getting the sense that cooking's happening, but they're not really um, participating and not really able to witness the visuals of cooking. So in those books I had some, uh, I, I, I strongly advise the adult who, in the room to bring the food down to the kid's level, put it on a kid table, you know, those little kid table and chairs, Use an electric mm-hmm. skillet on a kid table instead of having the kid on the stool up at the stove. And I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I'm very – that was like one of the most fun things I ever did was write children's cookbooks. I'm, I've got three of them. I, I, I'm thinking I want to keep going with those. Well, I, I think it's really important to kids. You know, I, I know that uh, I have uh, – we have two granddaughters. They're uh, three and four, and they love – to come into the kitchen. My husband's the actual cook in the family. And so he's always, and he's really good with them. He 
gets a chair and pulls them up. And um, they, they make ice cream. We have a little ice cream maker, and they make ice cream. Or we have a little garden, and he, you know, does a little bit of gardening. But it's that's what they talk about when they want to come to our house. When they're on the phone, they're like, we want to make ice cream. We want to go pull the carrots. You know, all of those other things that we do for them, monetarily or whatever, those are the things, the kitchen things. And and when I was reading your cookbooks, it reminded me on that, and then you connected your own self to that, and it just brought that home again for me that that was really the things that they were remembering, not all of these other, you know, kind of almost superficial things that we think we're doing for them as grandparents, yeah. you know. But but really the memory, and it, it just proves true because you remembered your grandparents or your grandmother and you were three, and it, it, that just brought all that home for me as well. So I so, I so of, appreciate that. And I feel like it, the kids get so honored when they're the first time they feel included in something that is an, like an adult kind of territory. So mm-hmm. if you invite them into something that they might not otherwise feel welcome in, it's mm-hmm. it's they it's not just it's not just fun. It's it's um it's an honor to them. It's it's you're telling them that you have faith in them, and it's also connecting them with their own humanity. Um, so I I I, I can't I, I needn't since you're a grandmother and you've got you've got little grandchildren, which is wonderful. Um, having worked in as a volunteer in preschool cooking classes, I, I just can't even describe the look on a child's face when he or she realizes, I'm really doing this. This is for real. It's so They're so proud of themselves, and they feel so much a part of the human race, so included. And mm-hmm. in, a, in a culture mm-hmm. that separates kids out a lot, which is our culture, kid this, kid that, this is more of a continuum of connection for yeah. the kids to feel, feel a part of something. Absolutely, and you know, it's it's a great way to bond and connect. And you know, for you to still have those memories, it made me think of the memories of my grandmother, and you know, being in her kitchen. And really, those are the you know, the, I mean, those things. Like you said, you know, right now you you commune with your grandmother through your picture every day. You know, that's the bond that you know through all this time that is just it's it just stood the test and it, and it all came out of you know that that love formed in formed in the kitchen and, and those memories and you know that I, I hope that you know people will you know kind of pay attention to that as well and and uh, make that whole experience uh, a little more. Uh, Thought-provoking than than maybe they do just going through the routine of the day. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so. I love what you said. I mean, it's such a it's actually a profound thing to do, and it's not just um, it's not just kids wanting to you know re- redecorate your kitchen in spaghetti sauce. You know, it's it's so much more than that. It's just wonderful, um, and, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful for the adult too. So I'm so glad you brought that up. That's great. Well. Thank you for you know you 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 were the one that led me there so I I really appreciate oh, that as you know for you doing that but it's just that I I was so glad to to see this you know the heart of the plate because going to farmers markets and not you know wanting to eat vegetables but like you said sometimes there's there's too many choices out there but at least that you know you really get it and you, you make these Molly's notes. In in the cookbook, and where you kind of answer the questions that we're thinking, like you know, you said, you know, try to use the, the best peanut butter you can get. 
but but then you go on and say, but if you can't get peanut butter, almond butter is okay. You know, it's like you're already answering those questions. It's like we're having a conversation through the book. You've already thought of what we're going to ask, and you've already kind of preempted it. You're like, okay, I, I know what you're going to say, but and this is okay. And, and I thought that was really intuitive of you. I really care. And, you know, writing a cookbook, you don't know exactly whom you're writing for. You have a general idea. So this is, an in, from uh, from my end of it, it's an intimate conversation with however many strangers. <laughs> and I'm trying to picture, I, I really am trying to picture people in their kitchens and what they might need from me. I don't write about myself so much as I write for people. I, I am so bullish on wanting to get people in their kitchens cooking their own dinners. Even if a person who is just tiptoeing into cooking for the first time or just tiptoeing into vegetable cooking for the first time, I really want to inspire confidence. And if so even if somebody just comes up with one, if they bond with a single recipe or two recipes out of several hundred in the book and they get so comfortable with those recipes and it kind of becomes theirs, uh, a recipe is really only an idea. It's only a structure. It doesn't really belong to anyone. I want everyone who reads this book to make these recipes into their own cuisine. And so, I'm, and I'm so into the. My mission is like, let's rescue the home cooked dinner from oblivion. Let's bring it back. That's what I care about so much. Uh, even I don't. I don't, I, don't, I, I mean, veg, vegetable based food is great, but if people are cooking anything, I'm happy. <laughs> I just want to wow. do more and more of that. I think it helps us economically. It helps us spiritually. It gives us skills. Uh, gives us something nice to do with others and for others and for ourselves. It's just it's just all good if we can just for those of us who are new to cooking break the ice with it for those of us who already cook a lot to find renewed inspiration that's that's what I hope to do and I just don't want there to be obstacles I want to make it as easy as possible so for example when I have um, variations or additions you can put you know to take a dish further I'll give the basic recipe and then on the other side of the page at the end of the recipe I'll put what I call optional enhancements. But I, I have them a little bit geographically separated from the rest of the recipe so that people who are new to it can just at a glance see the basic recipe and not feel uh, overwhelmed. And I, I try to keep things as simple as possible. When I'm testing a recipe, as soon as it tastes good, it's done. I might have thought originally <laughs> I was going to put – sometimes I have a list, oh, I think I'm going to – I'm going into the kitchen with a kind of outline of what I think I'm going to do, and sometimes I don't get all the way through my outline. Because if it starts to taste good, I, I stop. Because I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to fear. I don't, I want to demystify. So that's my goal. Well, that's why you're one of the best-selling cookbook authors of all time, oh, and in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's there's no doubt on that. I'm, it's, well, I'm so thrilled about those things. Oh, did you? I'm, I'm coming to Seattle. You are. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm coming to the farmers market. We're talking about farmers markets. I have to say, I'm going to be at the Seattle farmers market. Is there? I don't know if there's just one, but I'm going to be. Is it the Pike Market one, or I believe so. On 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 Saturday, the twenty eighth of September, I'm going to oh be in gosh. town. Yeah. Well, I'll have to try to get down for that. And yeah, I'm going to be at the book larder yesterday. The book larder um, on on this uh, September twenty sixth. So just so you know, okay. I'm going to be in town in a few weeks. 
Yeah. Can't wait to see you. Oh my gosh! Well, that is really exciting. I'll have to make my way over there to see you. That is that, that's it. great. Well, you you will find a very captive audience because Seattle is really just like the the rest of the country right now is really embracing that. There's farmers markets all over Seattle now. Uh, there was probably six going on around you know Seattle and the outskirts. Uh, I was down at Pike Market yesterday. It was super crowded, so I went up to the Capitol Hill, which is only about a mile off of Pike Market, and that's kind of where all the locals were at the farmers market. And it, there were so many people up there. It was just such a fantastic. It was it was like Pike Market on a smaller scale, a mile up the hill, um, with not so many people. <laughs> it was great. Uh-huh. Oh, how <laughs> but, nice! But you'll I, get I, a huge crowd down at Pike Market. I love it up up in the Pacific Northwest, and I love Seattle, and I can't wait to get there and see you guys. I know. Well, we can't wait to have you because, like I said, there's a huge, you know, uh, uh, focus on this right now, and, and people are looking for more ways, you know, to, to cook their vegetables and incorporate their vegetables, and I think you're going to receive a very large and warm welcome when you come. Oh, I can't wait. I'll have to make sure that I get that. I'm going to mark that on my calendar. I'll try to get over there and, and, and see you for sure, for sure. Wonderful. So, yeah, so the book lighter on the 26th and the farmer's market on the 28th. Perfect. All right. Well, Molly, thank you so much for coming on. I, I know I told you 20 minutes. I've kept you almost an hour, so I really appreciate you giving me all of this time and, and talking with all of us today. And I've made a lot of notes, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, and you know, we'll, we'll turn out and support you on the, on the 26th and the 28th. I am so excited about that, and it's been so much fun talking to you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, have a great day, and uh, I'm going to get in there and, and wash <laughs> up some vegetables and, and, and do, do something that. fun. <laughs> enjoy that. Don't worry about whether you're a vegetarian or not. Just enjoy your food. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, and I will try to see you at the end of the month. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank Take you, care. Molly. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, Molly Katzen, you know, she has a very rational way for you to enjoy your vegetables, and you can absolutely see why she is so successful. Just a wonderful, wonderful person, and I can't thank her enough for coming on. I mean, come on, she's one of the best-selling cookbook authors of all time, ever, and she's in the Cookbook Hall of Fame, and, and you know, she was able to come on and talk to us for a while today, and I really, really appreciate that. Lovely, lovely lady. Um, you know, just, again, can't, can't thank her enough. So thank you uh, for hanging in there with us and listening. I'm going to play right now Alvin Fisher's Absolutely. We had Alvin. He is a great jazz flutist. He was on a few weeks ago, the Alvin Fisher Band. And you can find out more about him at alvinfisher.com. Be sure to check out Molly Katzen's book. You can go to mollykatzen.com and find out about her book, The Heart of the Plate, a vegetarian recipe for a new generation. That generation is eating more more fruits and vegetables. So join the movement. Feel good about yourself and eat healthy. And uh, we'll be back after a while with uh, after we play Alvin Fisher. <laughs> 